You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. If you do not have a Bible, you can uh, get one of our pew Bibles. That is our gift to you as a church. We'll be in John chapter 15. That's on page 589. Did you know, according to Forbes magazine, that there are 6.8 billion people on our planet? That's such a big number. That's a number that I think is very difficult for us to wrap our minds around. But there are 6.8 billion people on the planet. 4 billion of those 6.8 billion, I know we're dealing with big numbers, so don't, don't get lost in this, don't glaze over, but 4 billion of our 6.8 billion own mobile phones. So cell phones, 4 billion of us, of the 6.8 billion of us, own mobile phones, and only 3.5 million use a toothbrush. So there are 4 billion people in our world that own a cell phone and only 3.5 billion who use a toothbrush. There are more people in this world that use a cell phone than a toothbrush. 91% of adults who own smartphones keep them within arm's reach. And 90% of text messages get read within 3 minutes of delivery. And 82% of U.S. adults own a cell phone. 82% of us own a cell phone. We live in a technological world. And in fact, I would say there's a lot of research coming out by psychologists that we are addicted to technology. What is it that is so addictive about technology to the point that 91% of us who own a smartphone... It's within arm's reach. How many of you, let's take a quick poll, let's let's test these stats out. How many of you right now, your smartphone is within arm's reach? Okay, yeah, that's what I I thought. About 91% of us right now. Our smartphones are within arm's reach. And 82% of us own a cell phone. And if you were to get a text message, the research shows that you will read it within three minutes. You'll read it within three minutes. We are... Addicted to our devices. Why? Why? Because we crave connection. We crave connection. We want to be connected. That's why social media, uh, social media Facebook, Twitter is so popular. Many of you, um, you might be of a generation where you just don't understand social media and you hear me say Facebook and Twitter and you have no idea what that means. But our world today craves connection. We crave connection. We have to be connected. And because of that that basic need that we have as human beings to be connected, we supplement or sometimes substitute real human connection with a device, with a cell phone. We, We can shoot off a text with someone. It's easier to text someone rather than talk to them. It's easier. We feel like we know people on on Facebook because we see their pictures and we haven't seen them in 10 years, but we feel like we know them because we see them. We haven't seen them in years. We desire connection as human beings. 
But on a spiritual level, we have a need. We have a need to connect. We have a need to connect with our Creator. We have a need, if you claim to be a believer, a Christian follower of Jesus Christ, you have a need to be connected to Christ. Well, here in John chapter 15, Jesus is explaining to his disciples, remember, we've seen this the last few weeks, before he's going to go die on the cross and then be resurrected, and he's giving his disciples some final instructions before he goes to the cross. He's going to leave them with some final teaching, some final words before he launches them out to go and start his church. So Jesus here is going to remind them, as I send you out, you must stay connected to me. So let's look at John chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. It's at page 589 in your pew Bible, and Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now, there's some imagery here that Jesus is using that probably doesn't strike us like it would a first century Jew, his disciples. See, if Jesus is saying and using this imagery, it's going to strike them in a very real way. It's going to make their ears perk up immediately. So let me unpack this imagery for us for just a second. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, you see that in verse uh, 1. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, that is loaded with meaning. Jesus is not just talking about a vine like you might see with grapes growing on it. It's not quite that simple. They wouldn't have heard it. The first century Jews wouldn't have heard it that way. Because throughout the Old Testament, The imagery of the vine is used to describe God's covenant people, Israel. Turn over now. We're going to flip through some passages of scriptures because I want you to see this to lay the foundation for what we're going to talk about this morning. So turn over to Psalm 80, Psalm 80, and verses 8 and 9. Because throughout the Old Testament, God's people, Israel, are described as a vine. And so we see this, David writes here in um, chapter 80 of Psalms, 
in verses 8 through 9, David writes, you, talking about God, you dug up a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Verse 9, you cleared a place for it. It took root and filled the land. So here, Israel, if we're familiar with the Bible as a whole, we remember that God's people, Israel, were enslaved in Egypt. And led by Moses, God uses Moses to lead his covenant people out of Egypt. And so David writes here in verse 80, or verse 8 of chapter 80, you dug up a vine from Egypt. You delivered them out of slavery. You drove the nations, out the nations, and planted it. You cleared a place for it. It took root and it filled the land. So oftentimes in the Old Testament, the image of Israel is a vine. Um, in the Old Testament picture, people produce fruit through their connection to, the, to Israel. God laid out a plan, a redemptive plan to redeem and restore the world was through the world's connection to Israel. God told Abraham in Genesis, through your seed, through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What was God talking about to Abraham? He's saying there's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be a rescuer. There's going, Jesus is going to come and redeem the world through your family. Through Israel, all of the world would see the supremacy of God. Through Israel and the Old Testament, the world would know Yahweh. Yet consistently throughout the Old Testament, what did Israel do? They didn't do a very good job of that, did they? They didn't do a very good job of showing uh, the world God. They sinned. They fell into idolatry. They would rebel against God. So now turn over to Jeremiah chapter 2. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 2, a prophet would often come, God would send a prophet to warn his covenant people or to remind them. Sometimes God would use a prophet to remind them as the centuries would go by, a Messiah is going to come, a Messiah is going to come. Oftentimes God would use a prophet to give them a warning and say, leave these idols, leave the idolatry that you're doing and come back. Well, here in Jeremiah 2 verse 21 Jeremiah is speaking, God is speaking through Jeremiah, and it says, I planted you, talking to Israel, a choice vine from the very best seed. How then could you turn into a de degenerate foreign vine? God says, I planted you, a choice vine from the very best seed. How could you turn away from me? Ezekiel, just to save time, we won't turn to this one, but Ezekiel 15, verse 6, the prophet Ezekiel said, this is what the Lord God says, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire as fuel, so will I give up the residents of Jerusalem. What's Ezekiel saying? Ezekiel saying, there's judgment coming. Israel, you, the vine, there is judgment coming, and just like you would use uh, wood from the vine of the forest to start a fire, God is going to give you up the residents of Jerusalem. And we could see there's many, many more examples throughout the Old Testament of this vine imagery, 
But in the Old Testament, when we come across this imagery of the vine, remember it's Israel and God's people, it's used negatively. Because in the Old Testament, when Israel was the vine, it was accompanied with a declaration that they were a vine that did not bear fruit. God was frustrated with his people, and therefore God's wrath was coming upon them. So when you heard vine terminology in the first century, if you were a Jew like these disciples, it was almost always a pronouncement of judgment. So when Jesus starts using vine terminology, these disciples who are familiar with the Old Testament, they would have gotten really nervous. Because it sounded like there was going to be judgment that was coming. Jesus even said that in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus gave a parable. He used the picture of a vineyard as a symbol for Israel. And Jesus concluded that parable by saying that the owner will destroy the, tenant, the tenants and give the vineyard to others. And in response to that parable, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they wanted to arrest Jesus because they re- realized that he had told this parable against them. So the symbolism of a vine and a vineyard was not lost on them. Yet here Jesus, back in John chapter 15, here Jesus is turning that idea, that picture of a vine, the vine being Israel, and this idea of judgment coming, Jesus is now turning it on its head. Because he says... I am the true vine. So Jesus is making a profound statement because he's saying, Israel, you are not the true vine. In short, Jesus is saying, I am doing what you could not do. And I am am being what you have not been able to be. See, this is a profound gospel statement because Jesus is saying, I am going to do what you could not do. Jesus is saying, I am here to show the glory of God to the world. Israel was not able to do that. They were not able to fully reveal God's glory because of their idolatry and their sin and their rebellion. But Jesus says, now I'm going to do it for you. I am going to make you fruitful. I am the true vine. Now let's look at verse 2 again. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. So we see here there's pruning involved. What is pruning? Okay, any gardeners here? I see Joyce Deering in the back. She's fabulous with gardening. What is the purpose of pruning? Okay, my parents have uh, apple trees, and we, a few years ago, pruned those trees way back, and we had a really good apple tree crop. Why did we prune those trees back? To produce more fruit. So Jesus is saying, I am going to prune you back so you will bear more fruit. Jesus is saying, I am going to prune you back. I am going to cut out areas in your life so that it will produce more fruit. Fruit, because Jesus says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. So if we had apple trees and there was dead branches hanging off of it, we would want to cut those off because what happens, those branches rob nutrients from the tree. 
It robs water from the tree. So you cut that off so that tree, that bush, that plant will flourish. And Jesus says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. So what's Jesus telling his disciples? He's saying, there is going to be areas in your life that I'm going to prune. I'm going to cut out. Now, that sounds painful, doesn't it? Like, have you ever imagined a tree, a bush, a plant that you prune back? Now, I don't know if plants have feelings. I have no idea if they can feel it or not. But if, if a plant, tree, bush could feel pruning, it would not feel good. It would not, it, it would not be an enjoyable process. It would hurt. So, when initially, when we hear verse 15, uh, chapter 1 of verse 15, uh, uh, chapter 15, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, we're like, okay, we like that. But then verse 2, Jesus says, there's going to be pruning. There are going to be times in your life that situations are going to arise and trials are going to arise and difficulties and tragedies are going to come. And I'm going to use that to prune you. And this is a prophetic statement by Jesus, isn't it? Because as we look into the book of Acts, as the disciples establish the church and the church grows and spread, spreads, what are they met with? Persecution. Persecution. The disciples, the church, they were going to be thrown in the prison. They were going to be beaten. They were going to be killed. But if we look at the whole of church history, and we don't have time today, but if we were to look at the whole of church history, anytime there is persecution, the church explodes and it grows and it bears fruit. So Jesus is telling his disciples, there is going to be pruning. I am going to prune you back so you will bear more fruit. So Jesus is saying, expect it. Expect the pruning. It's going to happen. Why? So you will bear more fruit, that you will be productive. But look again at verse 4 and 5. Because it's interesting that Jesus talks about the pruning, but then he comes back here in verse 4 and 5 to reassure them. He says, remain in me, or some translations say abide. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. What's Jesus saying here? What Jesus is saying here that as a believer and follower of him, there is an expectation. There is an expectation to produce fruit. There's an expectation there. And so if we're going to, as believers and followers of Christ, and if these disciples are going to live up to this expectation, Jesus is saying, remain, abide in me so that you will produce fruit. There must be production. There must be fruit that is produced. But here's what happens. As Christians, we read this and we see, okay, I need to produce fruit. But then what happens? Because we're control freaks. What happens? We try to muster up the willpower. We try to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. And then what do we do? 
we get really busy. We begin to think, if I read my Bible and have a really good, strong, quiet time, if I pray a lot, if I give a lot of time to the church and I serve in numerous ministries, if I give money to charity, if I do all of these things, then I'm producing fruit. Now, are those things that I just mentioned good or bad? They're good. They're good. But what happens is we begin to create checklists in our mind to where then we can say, okay, I've done this. I've been in this Bible study. I've been in this Sunday school class. I've read these number of chapters. I've memorized these verses. And I do all of these things. So therefore, I'm producing fruit. And we create these checklists so we feel like we're being productive. I'm guilty of that too. We feel like if I do, we are a, we are a doing people. We're a doing culture. If I do... Therefore, I am productive. But what Jesus is saying, Jesus doesn't say to do anything. What does Jesus say? Remain. Abide. It's almost like he's saying, stop being schizophrenic. Stop. Abide. Remain. Rest. I believe that so many of us are on the verge of spiritual nervous breakdowns because we have created these systems and ministries that are good, but we start these things in our lives and in our churches, and what we do is we work ourselves to a fr uh, uh, being frantic, and we're schizophrenic, and we, ner we have nervous breakdowns spiritually because we are doing, 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 doing. And Jesus says, don't do, be. Remain in me. Because if we're busy as believers in Jesus and we're not abiding and remaining in him and we're trying to do all these things without him, what we're really doing is we are teaching a bad theology of work salvation. We're saying, if I do these things, therefore I am saved, therefore I have a relationship with God. But the beauty of the gospel is that we don't do anything for our salvation. It's all Jesus. So it makes sense that if our salvation has been purchased by Christ upon the cross and his resurrection, that we don't have to do anything but abide and remain and connect. Because here's what Jesus says. I am the vine, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. See, well, oftentimes what happens is we begin to think, I am the vine. The energy has to come from me. The ideas have to come from me. I am the source. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I am the vine. You are the branches. Sometimes I wonder here, I don't think this is a passive-aggressive passive statement by Jesus at all, but sometimes I wonder if this, that phrase is meant for Peter. Because you want to talk about a busy guy who had a tendency to talk a lot and was all over the place. Sometimes I wonder if this was meant for Peter. I don't know. That's just, take that for whatever it's worth. It's probably not worth anything. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. And here's the key phrase that must be imprinted on our hearts and minds. Jesus says, because 
you can do nothing without me. And this morning, I wonder how many of us right now are incredibly spiritually frustrated. And we're tired. And we're burned out. And we feel unproductive. And I wonder if that feeling is rooted in because we think we are the vine. When in reality, Jesus says, unless you remain in me and I in you, you're not going to produce fruit. Nothing's going to happen. Unproduction's going to happen, which is going to lead to frustration and stress and nervous breakdowns and schizophrenia. So let me encourage us as individuals and as a faith family to abide, to remain, to connect, to live. Let's keep going, verses 6 through 8. Jesus said, if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. Wonder how many, I like that word withers because I wonder how many of us in times in our lives, we're just, we feel like we're shriveling up spiritually like a raisin and we're dried out. There's nothing left to give and we're dried up. And we're withering. Jesus goes on to say, they gather them and and they throw them in the fire and they are burned. And then verse 7, if you remain in me, my my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. And then verse 8, if you want a mission statement for your life, here's a good one. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit fruit and prove to be my disciples. I love how Jesus phrases this. What a, what a great teacher. Because I think a lot of us, if we were teaching and preaching in this moment like Jesus is, a lot of us would say, uh, your, God is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and you prove to, to prove to be my disciples, but we wouldn't talk about the remaining and abiding. What Jesus does here is he talks about the connection first the abiding, the remaining, because then Jesus is going to say, here's the big expectation that you glorify God by producing much fruit and prove to be my followers, prove to be my disciples. But Jesus makes that statement of remain in me. If you remain in me, then God will be glorified in you. You will produce much fruit and then you will prove to be to the world my disciples. But it all starts back in that remaining, in that abiding. I think of us as parents. Those of us who are parents, we want to raise our kids well, and we want to present Christ, and we want to give them a great growing up, and we need to abide in Christ. We want to be productive Christians, and we want to make disciples, and we want to produce 
much fruit in our lives as individual believers, and we want to grow in Christ, and we want to grow to be spiritually mature, but it's not in what we do, it's in that we abide and we remain. We as a church, we say this all the time, that we want to glorify God by making disciples of all nations, and Jesus says, remain and abide in me. You're not going to be able to do that huge task without me. Because the reality is, we cannot do anything without Christ. And we can try, but it is going to be like running uphill, and eventually we're going to fall over exhausted. So the application this morning is for us, is simple. Abide. Remain. Live in Christ. Stay connected to Christ. You may be here this morning, and this is the first time you've heard any of this. This is really strange language to you, and I understand. But maybe in your life you are just spiritually, you've found your, your, your place, and you're spiritually frustrated. You've looked everywhere else to be satisfied, for your brokenness to be healed in your life. Can I encourage you to believe in Jesus so that you can be connected to the vine, the true vine? As a believer, as I said, as Jesus said, verse 6, you may be withering, feeling like you're drying up, you're dying spiritually. Abide in Christ. Connect to that life source so that we may be able to produce much fruit. Pray with me. Jesus, you have given us as your disciples a huge task. A huge task to produce fruit. And so I pray that you would stir our desires and our love, our affections for you to the point where we can't help but connect to you. We can't help but abide and remain in you. Jesus, this is going to take a miracle in our lives. We need your touch. We need your, your miraculous hand upon our hearts and our lives to connect with you. So I pray if there's anyone here that has never believed in you, I pray that today that they would be connected to you, the true vine. That maybe today you would sprout a new branch from your vine and call someone to yourself. Jesus, I pray for for those of us who are followers of you, forgive us. Forgive us of our busyness. Forgive us for creating checklists for our spirituality. When in reality, spiritual maturity happens not by checking off spiritual boxes, but by abiding and remaining in you. Forgive us for creating 
systems and, and cultures and even boxes that we place ourselves and other people in saying this is what it has to look like when in reality it's just simply connecting and abiding in you. Help us to learn to do that. Teach us to do that as individuals. And then as a church, Jesus, we want to make you known here in our community and to the ends of the earth. So help us corporately to abide. Teach us to remain. And help us to avoid the cancer of busyness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music